today, week two in this series called I Am a Teacher, based on Tom Rainer's book of the same name. Um, there's, again, a few books left. Get one for you if you would like and read along. The book was written, again, just if you, if you weren't here last week, the book was written to take an honest look at the condition and the state of the church. And that's the church as a whole. That's um, you're not just individual churches, but the church as a whole. Uh, what's going on in the church? What trends are happening in the church? Not just numbers. Numbers are important for us to pay attention to. But what is God speaking to His church and to us as members of the church? That, that the, the, the series is intended to be, you know, to, to, to push guilt upon people, but to say, God, what are you saying? Encourage us. Challenge us. In each of the areas that, that in the areas that we might be struggling with, where we might be dealing with things, and speak to our hearts, so that the, the body of Christ can be healthy and vibrant and doing what it's called to do. And as we looked at last week, the church in America is in decline. In fact, probably, if you look at some numbers, more of a nosedive than a decline. And there are some concerning things that we look at as a church and say, God, what will it take for us not to become another statistic just another church that closes its doors? 4,000 churches in America close every year. There are 1,000 new church plants. So there's a deficit of 3,000 churches a year that close. They just seem to exist no longer exist. And so what is God saying? What, what is He speaking to our hearts? And, and, and I pray that we have ears to hear. And that's what Tom Rainer does in his book. Is he, again, he looks at the numbers and he says, more than just saying, oh no, here, here's what's being said. He says, here's what God is saying to pull us through and saying, you don't have to be in those places. There's great hope and God will, He's going to have a church. And in fact, the, uh, the key passages, again, I'm going to take a look at those. As we, as we get going here, the, the, these are two passages as we go through this series and what is the Lord speaking to the church. We need to understand that Jesus said this out of His mouth. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against me. That's the statement. Jesus doesn't say, I might build my church. It's a possibility that I will build my church or have a church. If, you know, he, he doesn't say, you know, if you guys get it all straight, then I'll have my church. And he says, I will have a church. I will have a victorious church, and I will have a church that is going to have a mission, and the mission being the gospel of Jesus Christ to lift him up and that lives will be changed. He will have a church. He made that statement when he was on the earth. And so when you hear of churches in decline and crashing, though, that's not the Lord's problem. He's going to have a church, and we must align with him and what he's doing. The other one is this, in John 4, where Jesus reminds us of the mission. Don't you have a saying? It's for four months till the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the bills. They are right for the harvest. In other words, he says, don't think that you've just arrived at a place where there's, still, there's nothing left to be done. That a lot of times churches maybe go through times and seasons and they get to a place and they kind of just get in a rut and say, well, it's just kind of, our four and no more, and we just kind of reach the pinnacle, we reach the plateau, and whatever. He said, no, there, there's still work to be done. The harvest is ripe, and the church still has a mission. 
And so this idea of what it means to be a member, I am a church member, it's, it's again, more than your name being on a roll, that, oh, that's a person that is a member of that church. It really means, what does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ? We looked at that last week, Christians 12. You are all members of the body of Christ. And so let's allow the Lord to speak to our hearts. And, uh, and, and, and looking at these key passages that encourage you to remember the mission and why we are here. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that. That's why a lot of times in the missional idea to say, remember what you did before. Remember why you were created. Remember your purpose. Sometimes what we start doing is making the pur- the, this purpose, and, it, and we get away from the real purpose of Christ's purpose, and we start focusing on making the wrong things the purpose. So last week, becoming a functioning member, you all have a part in the body of Christ. Paul uses the analogy of a human body, that every part is vital and necessary. There are no parts that were intended to just work part of the time. There were the, the part, the, the parts of your body, you don't just use them once a week. The Sunday morning gathering, this is, this is a small piece of what it means to be a part of the church, of the body of Christ. It's very small. This is a corporate gathering. We're commanded to do it. We're commanded to be connected. We're commanded to assemble together to encourage one another. But this small part. Imagine, you know, using a part of your body only once a week. Sunday morning, you get up, and that's the time you use your hand. Otherwise, you just kind of wrap it up, and you, it would it would it would lose muscle. It would lose its intention. It would lose its purpose. And that's kind of the mindset that Paul's trying to get us that they are intended to function all the time. And so, as a functioning member. How do we do that? We're connected to the other parts of the body, ultimately connected to the head of Christ. We're serving, we're being present, we're there, we're with each other. Just like your human body is, everywhere you go, the parts are just going together. You're functioning together. So this week, we're going to be looking at what it means to be a unifying member. This is chapter 2 of the book, a unifying member of the body of Christ, functioning and unifying I, th- I would say this. I think today's message, I think understanding and getting the revelation of unity might be the most important thing that we can get in our hearts. Unity is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical and essential to us as the body of Christ. Um, it's actually tied to one of our mission essentials here at the Community Bible Church. And the mission essential is this unity is non negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. It's absolutely of utmost importance as a church. It's, just, it's not just a good idea. It is actually a mandate from Scripture. And I think sometimes we don't realize how exactly important it is or what is at stake as it pertains to unity. Because I guarantee God understands it and the enemy understands what's at stake. That's why that area gets battles. There's so many battles in that area that we face in the enemy. comes at us and tries to break us apart. And so my hope and my prayer is that we, again, get this revelation, we see unity in a new light today and the importance of what God is giving us this mandate from Scripture. So what does it mean to be a unifying member? 
of the body of Christ? Why is unity in the body of Christ so important? In a few moments, we're going to take a look at some scriptures that I will use to unpack the question that I just asked of the importance. Why is it so important? And again, I hope that we all see the necessity of unity in a new way. You're going to see scriptures that you're very familiar with. I encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit. He can make scripture that we read a thousand times. He can make it come alive in a new way in our hearts. That's my prayer for today. Is that we hear these, but don't hear them with dull ears and say, Ah, yeah, I understand that. God, what are you speaking to us? So what what unity is and what unity is, and I want to talk about that for a, a, a moment here. What unity is and what it isn't. Unity isn't uniformity or agreeing on everything. That's, that's not unity. Unity is working toward a common goal, vision, or mission in spite of differences and disagreements. That's unity. In fact, you can have unity without compromise. You can have disagreements, and you may not see each other, see, see things the same way as, as, as other members of the body of Christ or you know, the, the other people. But we can have love, and we can have a mutual thing. Here's the goal, here's the mission, here's the vision in which we're called to, and we can have unity around that. So it's not a brain or uniformity kind of thing. In fact, unity is seen the most when we don't agree on everything. It's manifested greatest when we keep our eyes on the goal, the vision, and mission instead of what we disagree on. That's how the enemy, he makes you begin to focus on the disagreement. He makes the disagreement huge, and the vision and mission gets pushed to the side. That is his tactic all the time. And if he can get you to stop looking at the vision and mission, He's won the battle. And so the goal and the vision and the mission that God's given us, that must be non-negotiable. And so it's easy for us to focus on what we disagree on. And so, and in fact, the temptation is that we make that the battle. And so we begin not just to focus on it, but we begin to fight for things that are not a part of the vision and the mission. And we make those battlegrounds. So what happens is that we forget the vision and mission that God has given us and we start fighting silly battles, ridiculous battles, ultimately that make us ineffective. And the enemy stands back and he laughs. And I talked a little bit about this last week, but churches have split, churches have ended, churches have had fights over the silliest things. Carpet colors, these lights versus chandeliers, um, paint colors. People get furious about that kind of stuff. And if you are making that the battle, something is seriously wrong with your heart. Because this building, the things in this building will come and go. This is not the church. You and I are the church. We cannot forget that. And so the enemy gets us over here putting out little fires fighting for the battle. So just let him have at it and he'll leave us alone. And so this is one of the greatest enemies, uh, one of his greatest strategies against the church 
and it gives other areas. Unity stretches into other areas of life. This is how enemies, the enemy breaks up marriages and families. You know, do, do we have a vision and mission for our marriage? And, and, and what do we agree on? Because as very couples, do you agree on everything? Please don't raise your hand. I'm going to be preaching about something else right after you do that. You know, I've had people come to me, they, you know, they're upset about whatever, this or that, and, and, and I like to sometimes just ask little funny questions, and, you know, because they're, they're seeing this kind of as an impasse or disagreement and saying, you know, I don't, I just, I'm having trouble with this, I'm struggling with this, and, I'm, and, I, and I sometimes just say, do you ever disagree with your spouse? Well, yeah, sure, sure I do. Do you ever have disagreements in your family? Sure. What do you do about it? Do you say, well, no, this is it. It's covering you right now. It's over. We're cutting ties. We're cutting all this stuff. Some people choose to do that. But unity is found in saying we love each other. We honor each other. And we're going to move forward to what God is calling us to do. And so anywhere you see this idea of unity, the power of unity, and it's not one of my texts, but Psalm 133 talks about a commanded blessing where there is unity. There's a commanded blessing. God gives blessing where there's unity. And that's why marriages get under attack. Families get under attack. Churches, businesses, corporations, anywhere where there needs to be unity because unity is tied to success. And so the enemy will try to drive in disunity so that we fail. And the opposite of unity, you see it up there, division, division. If you break this word down, it literally means two visions. Or split vision. There's a, there's, a, there's a vision and a mission that God has given, and so then what we do is we split it. And we say, well, there's more than one vision. It's division. God gives a church a, church a, a vision and a mission. He calls that church to carry that vision and that mission out. And the problem happens when the members begin to bring their own vision instead. So instead of asking, how does God want me to fit as a member of the body of Christ into the vision and mission of the church that He has given, it becomes, and where division comes, is I don't really care about the vision and mission of the church. I want to bring my vision and, and my, my mission and vision into the church. How do I fit my vision and mission into what is going on instead of how can I function into the vision and mission of the church? And so that's division, two visions. Then if you get into a big crowd of people and there's lots of opinions, you have three, four, five different visions. I don't like the vision. I don't like this. I think we should do this. And I think we should do that. What happens is you have chaos everywhere and confusion. And then the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. Because people come in and they go, well, what's the vision? This, but these people are saying this, and that person saying this. Division. That's the enemy's tactic. You know, the New Testament gives more attention on the subject of unity than on heaven and hell. Important. I, 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 I absolutely believe that it is essential, and that should give us some indication of the importance of unity. Three great analogies of unity. Um, can be found, first of all, in sports teams. 
if you play sports, especially if you play team sports. And the ones that are successful understand unity and how the team works together. Everybody has a position. Everybody knows their role. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. A play is called. Let's just take football, whatever. A play is called. The coach gives a play. This is the vision and mission of what, how we're going to drive down the field, hopefully to score, hopefully to win the game. The vision and mission is to win, to be victorious. And so they have different plays, and they are saying, here's what we're going to do, and, and, and then everybody huddles in, and the play is called, and everybody spreads out, and down to people that block, and, you know, and, and, and even has Paul said, some of those hidden parts of the body, you know, we think that the, 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 the more visible ones are more important, they're not. I remember a few years ago, um, it was Emmett Smith, who, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but he's a great running back, and he made it to the Hall of Fame. I remember his speech because he said, I wouldn't be up here today if it weren't for my offensive line. Because he understood that talent will only take you so far. You have to have the right people in the right place doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so all of those amazing, you know, they're blocking and they're giving him lanes to run through. He understood there's no way I could have done it without this. And so he, in humility, was saying, they deserve this as much as I do. And so a team comes and they can break out of the puddle and these guys are blocking certain, they're doing stuff, certain things. Everybody has a role in it. And the successful teams understand the unity of it. But what happens? If you watch the rest of sports, what happens? The egos get boosted up and people want to start doing their own thing. And how ridiculous would it be is if the coach call play, they get in there and the quarterback says, oh, here's what we're doing, whatever they call it, you know, they have these weird play, you know, as if you remember backyard football, you go out five steps, turn in. You go out five steps, hit, and you go long. Uh, you know, they're, they're just like really simple. Um, these are way more complex because everybody has to roll. Can you imagine if a quarterback, they call the play, and as they're breaking the huddle, a couple guys go, you know, I know what play he called, but how about we do this? Instead? The running back goes to the wide receiver. How about we do this? I don't really like that play. I, I think we should, when the ball is snapped, we'll do this. Or the blockers will say, you know what? I, I don't really care what the quarterback has said. Um, I, I'm going to enhance the block this way. I'm going to block it. I think it would be more effective if I went this way. What would happen to that team? It's a good picture. It was happening when people start calling their own calls and saying, no, I've got the vision. I know what the coach has said, but I don't, I don't really care. Chaos. Horrible loss is what they're going to, is what's going to happen on them. Another great one for you non sports people right, is, 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 a, is a symptom of orchestra. Every part has a role. Everybody's playing a certain note that makes this beautiful symphony. And when you hear, we hear it's every part, every part. And it could be just one that's just driving the beat, or, or you know, when you hear, when you break it down individually, you know, sometimes it may not sound great. I mean, it's talented, but when you put it all together, there's this beautiful sound that is made. And then what if somebody said, "Well, I don't like this sheet music. I don't like the note. I think we should do a different note. I think what would be better is we would do this." And then you have discord. You have something that is completely confusing, and it's that you know, have you ever? How many people have musical ears? I don't. You can hear when something's off. You know what I'm talking about? You hear it, you're like, mm, it's not on there. But, you know, 
Sometimes some of you people have a real ear, you're like, that's better than that. Like, oh, that's true. Because as pretty as the other stuff, if one is getting off, you see it, don't you? You know the people? You should agree with me because I don't know what I'm talking about. I know the analogy. I know it sounds good, but you can feel it. And that's why the conductor, they will stop and they'll like, you know, somebody's missing something here for timing and and it's intended to present this beautiful music when everyone's doing with it. And then if you have each of these individual members of playing their own thing, I don't like playing that. I know what the conductor said, I'm going to play my own thing. I think this will be better. It's chaos, it's confusion, and no one really wants to listen to it. These pictures, are, again, are, I think are very pertinent to the body of Christ. How we lose our platform to speak because we're noisy. It's division. It's multiple visions and this and that. And, and people come in and it's, it's chaotic as their environment. I don't need to go to church to get that. I could stay at home. Unity is essential. The last analogy is probably the most. You know, music and sports, you know, it's wonderful to go things are. Uh, the last analogy is, is, is an army. Battlefield. And it's a lot more at stake there because lives are on the line. The weight of it is way more serious. And you have commanders that say, here's a mission that we have to carry out to win this battle. We have, we have to do, and then each person has to do certain things to cause that mission to come into play. And then when you get out on the battlefield, if everybody is kind of doing whatever they want to do and they're making different decisions, well, I'll go this way and I know what the guy said, but I'll set a flanking right, we'll flank left because that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You're going to have a lot of death and ineffectiveness. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians about that we're, we're in a battle. In the spiritual realm, we are in a battle. We're, we were all born into a battle. We, we, this is the fact of being people that belong to God. It's a spiritual world possible. Battle's not against flesh and blood. And I love that he starts that passage out. We don't battle against flesh and blood because isn't that the tendency is to make it about each other? That's the truth of the enemy. Well, if that person would just do that, or if they just didn't, if they... If they, and then they, them, all of that stuff, if they would do it, then we, we would be happy we could work together instead of saying, Lord, they are not my battle, they are not my enemy. And if we could all understand that, and Paul says, you're in a battle, put on the armor, fight the fight, because you're in a battle. And the enemy tries again to make us ineffective by making us fight the wrong fight. Getting upset at the wrong battle, and He diverts us and, and divides us. God help us. But when follows, there's success. When we're doing what God's called us to do, we will be victorious. We will be one of the churches that Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, they will be victorious. They will be missional. They will be Successful, again, maybe not by the world standards, but they will be successful in the kingdom because they're doing what I called them to do. 
And so, I'm going to go into Scripture now. I, and I hope you understand, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic about this, but I think if you look at Scripture, the implications of unity will unfold. And the importance of what God's called us to. So let's look at some Scripture here. Go to the first one. I think this might be one of the most important scriptures, if not the most important scripture of unity in the entire Bible. Here's Jesus. Here's the context. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 is right before he's arrested. He's talking to his disciples. This is a very dark hour, but he is giving them some information. I mean, John 13, he washes his feet and he's saying, love each other like this. John 14, he tells him not, not to don't, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So when all this takes down and you see me on the cross, have hope because there is eternity. John 15, abide in me and let my words abide in you. John 16, power and presence and the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then John 17 is unity. And so he if you think about it, he's about to be arrested and go to the cross. leaving them with his last earthly teaching before the cross. And here's one of the things that he says. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. It's supposed to be alone. I don't know why it's alone. Alone. Talking about the cross. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's he talking about there? Us. Because they, it's not just for them alone. Yes, I'm praying, Lord, that keep the disciples, keep my apostles unified. But I don't pray for them alone. I'm praying for the people that will believe because of their message us. That they all may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There is great implication to that verse. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I am them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me, even as you have loved me. Do you see what he's saying there? I know we've heard this past. A lot of us have heard this a lot. But do you understand what Jesus is saying? The implications of unity. He's saying that the gospel to the world, the good news that we are to proclaim as the mission of the church is directly connected with us being in unity with, with each other. If we don't understand that and what Jesus is praying here, we miss it. We miss the mission. It's tied to our unity. So that the world will know. Let them be one so the world will know that, that God you sent me. Because the opposite is true. If we are in disunity and division, what are we saying to the world? God didn't send Jesus. We actually prevent people from hearing the gospel when we're in disunity. And let that sink in for you just a moment. If you've been divisive, if you've been in disunity, you prevent the gospel from being spread. And so unity isn't just a good idea. It is absolutely critical. Let's go to the next one. These are also the words of Jesus. A new command I give you. Stay in context on 13. Love one another as I have loved you. So, that you. so you must love one another. Not you ought to. 
not it would be a good idea if you did. You must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so he's saying, love is how I showed you to love. Love self-sacrificially. Laying down your life for each other. Laying down your opinions and your preferences. We're going to get into that next week. But it's self-sacrificial love. He said, that's, that's proof that you're my disciple. You want to show people that you're my disciple, love each other. Don't just say you're a disciple. Don't just say you're a follower of Christ. How do you love each other? That's the proof. And so I'm going to kind of shoot through some more passages. Those are the words of Jesus. Let's go to the next page. We're going to just kind of go through these and just kind of go one at a time here. Romans 12, 9 and 10. Paul said, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. This is all about unity. All about unity. Honor one another. Be devoted to one another. Love must be sincere. Sincere. It's true. It's, it's a choice. It's beyond a feeling. Because sometimes we don't feel it, do we? And this is a big test in marriage. When people say, well, I just, I don't feel it. I'm like, well, that's really, okay, that's great that you don't feel it. But love defined, biblical love is beyond feeling. If I choose to, and I lay down my life, and I continue to choose to love, because some days we don't feel it, do we? I love to have the feelings, but sometimes they're not there. And that's when Paul's saying, love must be sincere. Let's go to the next one. In the Corinthian church, there was a lot of division. You know, they were saying, you know, what Paul dealt with, said, some of you are saying, I'm Paul, I'm with Paulus, I like this pastor, I like this preacher, this is my pastor, I like this person, have you read this guy's book, have you heard this person's CD, this person, I like this, and he said, stop doing that. He said, Christ is not divided, it's great that you have opinions, you like certain people, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you are of camps, and that's what he's saying, there's a severe division among you, stop being of our camp, and be a part of the body of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that you, there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so what is he saying? Obviously, you can say, well, I thought you didn't, I thought you said that they didn't agree all the time and it's safe to agree with each other. I think what he's getting at is agree on the vision and the mission. Agree on the non-negotiable. What are we called to? That is what we agree with wholeheartedly with each other. The little things, we might have disagreements. And that's okay. But be united in the vision and mission that He has called us to. Let's go to the next one. Again, these are called letters to these churches. And just imagine, if you will, if God is writing His letter to the church in Montevideo, Community Bible Church. Let's go to the next one. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion. And what is He saying there? He's saying, you know, if you, if you, if you taste His Christ, if there's encouragement being united with Christ, if you have comfort in His love, if you're a believer, you're following the Lord, and you love Him, and you're fellowshipping with His Spirit, and there's, there's a tenderness and compassion that he's, that he's working in you, and He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. If all of that's going on, be... 
then make my joke by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. It's great that God's doing this little stuff in you, but a lot of times you can just let it be in you, and you still push your brothers and sisters away, and you're in disunity. He said, look, the fruit of walking with Jesus individually pushed you toward being like-minded and having the same purpose. Again, vision and mission. What's the vision and mission that God's called us to? That's what we agree on. Next one, Colossians 3. I've heard me say this one a lot. But bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. What is Paul saying? In the church, in a family, in a marriage, there are going to be grievances, offenses, hurt feelings, misunderstandings. Right? We're people. It's a part of the package. But then the question is, what do you do with them? You know, if, if I'm hurt, if I'm... If I have a grievance, if I have a grudge, if somebody does something to me, whether they meant to or not, because sometimes we, we get bent out of shape over something that didn't really even, the person didn't even intend. And the enemy is all over. That's why we all have to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. If somebody ignored me, well, maybe they, maybe they left something else on their mind. Give them grace. But what we have is we focus on they ignored me, and now my whole day is ruined. I don't like them. Now I'm gossiping about them, and I say this because they ignored me. And they may have been having a hard day, or they may have just been busy and didn't see me. Believe the best. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ. The enemy makes it all of a sudden now the battle's over here, and now we're bent out of shape over something that's really silly. It's, it's, it's amazing to me that in marriage, sometimes you know, these blow-ups that started out with something very little and small, isn't it? You track it back and you're going, wow, this is ridiculous. Hopefully you get that. Don't get that revelation for yourself. Get that revelation for you. The last thing you need to do is go, boy, that was ridiculous. Don't do that. That's just a bad move. Or do what one guy said. It's the thing not to stay with the in the heat of the moment. One guy said, here's number one. Oh, you didn't have your quiet time today. Not good. But we're going to have those things. We're going to have grievances and things that hurt me. There's no perfect people. There's no perfect truth. There's no perfect pastor. I'm going to say something that offends you or rub you on. That, my intention is not just to be mean or hurtful. I mean, with all my heart, with all my soul, I want to follow what the Lord is speaking to me as far as where this church is going and the vision mission as He has placed me in this position. Not more important, but it's one of many roles to say, God, lead us and guide us. My, my heart and my soul to say, God, show us. And in the midst of that, you, in, in, in two weeks, I'm going to be talking about praying for your leaders because we need it. Because we're broken just like everyone else is. We have the same things going on. That's why I'm always astounded that God chose people to lead. Isn't that crazy? It's one of the offenses, I think, in Scripture. What do we do with that? That's why honor is so hard. It's a, it's a faulty human being that you're calling me to follow. God, I don't get it. And I, it's one of the offenses. And I've said this before. If I were God, which I'm not, and I'm glad I'm not, I would have made angels pastors. They'd walk in every Sunday with a flaming sword on their shoulder. 
nobody's getting out of line, or you only get out of line once. And then the example is made, everybody else is like, oh, we're, we're following. But God just didn't do that because He tossed our hearts in all things. He did it that way, I don't get it. But they'll know that we are Christians by our love for one another. Again, this, this those offensive agreements, is the, that's where it's tested. That's where unity is tested, put to the test. It's not put to the test when your arms are around each other and you're laughing and you're saying, this is great, we agree on everything today. That's not really a test of unity. That's a test of you know, really, we agree today. That's great. The test of unity is when we don't agree and we remember what God's called us to. We love each other and honor each other and move forward. Because this is a test. Will we be just like the world or will we be different? Will we be the different spirit in the world? Because this whole idea of disagreement and severing, that's the worldly way to approach them. Just cut you off and I'll just go my own way and you go yours. Let's go to the next one, Romans 12. Live in unity with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Pride is a massive use of the enemy as far as disunity. Because we can use our position that I'm proud that I've got more information than you. I walk in something that you don't. You guys are down here. I'm up here. And says, false and don't. So it's interesting how he words that live in unity with each other and don't be proud. I mean, this sentence right after living in unity with each other is do not be proud. Guard our hearts. Ephesians 4 to the next one. Make every effort to keep in the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep in unity. Every effort. As long as it's concerned with you, make every effort to walk in unity. And then look, the bond of peace. What is he saying that one way to walk in unity is to be at peace with God and other people? I'm going to be at peace with God. I'm going to be at peace with others. I know maybe they offended me. I'm going to release it. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive quickly. I know trust is built over time, but we can forgive. We can just say, Lord, I choose to forgive. It's very difficult. I might have to choose it tomorrow to forgive. I might have to choose it the next day because the enemy will come in your mind and give you reasons why not to forgive. And you're told to forgive. Again, that doesn't mean that trust is immediately built, but we have to say, Lord, I choose to forgive that person. And then you have peace, and you have, you're able to sleep at night. Bond of peace. 1 John 4.12. Let's go to the next one. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and, and His love is made between us. The implication there again that we are assigned to the world. No one's ever seen God. But when His love is in us, when we love each other, what is, what is the Apostle John saying here? When we love each other, we reveal to the world that God is real. They can't see Him, but do they see Him in us? Or do they just see everything else? Do they see anger towards each other? Do they see unforgiveness? Do they see a wedge being driven? Do they see a cutting and severing? Do they see a prideful? But when we love each other, we think God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. And the world sees Him in us. So then that's Romans 15. We're winding down here. 
May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. It's just God who gives us endurance to run the race. He gives us encouragement. He gives you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow through in Jesus Christ. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Again, we bring praise to God when we accept each other. We accept each other for all of our faults, all of our issues, all of our brokenness. That's why I love wedding vows. You know, husband and wife stand there and they're saying, and I think some, some, you know, I do, I've, I've done a lot of weddings and a lot of female counseling, and some couples, they, they feel the weight of what's about to happen. But most of us, and I see myself in that, we just see with stardust, you know, in our eyes, and we're like, I'm going to love this. They're perfect. There's no fault in them. And nor me. We're going to, love is going to see us through, and we're going to, yeah, for better or for worse, you know, mainly it's going to be better. And we just say these words, and then we step, and we walk down, we have cake, and we, it's, it's, it's beautiful, and then two months later, we wake up and we like, Goodness, what happened? I don't like you today. I don't like me today. And it's, in the, it, it's accepting each other as Christ, Christ accepted you in your mess, in my mess. He reached down when we were most defensive and saved us. When we were rebels, it's the gospel. It's when we were wicked in our sin, he said, I accept you. And when you give your life to me, I will help clean you and I will make you new, but I accept you for who you are. And he said, what power can there be when we, as broken people, begin to accept each other like Christ accepted us? What beauty is portrayed? What, 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 what is the, the sign to the world when a church is walking that way? The enemy will fight us. Except one of them. First Peter three eight. Finally, all of you. <laughs> if you were wondering if they were speaking to any of us, I like to say, finally all of you. You guys speaking to specific things and that, but all of you, finally all of you, live in unity with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and humble. Again, humble the opposite of pride. Love. Be compassionate and humble. Be sympathetic with each other. Again, we, we need to be sympathetic with each other. We don't know what each of us have gone through. We all have a story. And sympathy, that's not, 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 there is unholy sympathy, and then there's holy sympathy. You understand what I'm saying? Unholy sympathy is to feel sorry for and to let people just kind of enable them to kind of just stay in the state they're in. Well, poor thing, you, you know, that's not sympathy. That's not godly, that's ungodly sympathy. We can have godly sympathy for one another, and that's what he's talking about. Not to leave you there. Sometimes sympathy is to challenge one another. It's accountability. When, you know, Paul confronted Peter, Galatians talked about he confronted him to his faith over something going on there, and it's just he confronted Peter to his faith. 
where he was having sympathy, he was having accountability. He said, you know, brother, you're, you're off the mark here, and I love you enough to tell you. But the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes, you know, we need to speak into each other's lives, and we need to, and that's a part of unity, is to make ourselves available for people to speak into our lives. So don't be unholy sympathetic, but be godly sympathy for each other. But be in unity. And then James 5, let's go to the next one, winding down. I know I said that a minute ago. Preachers like to say that. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Two chapters before that, James talks about the power of the tongue. And that sometimes it, you know, it's used to praise God and it's filled with poison and to tear people down into brothers and sisters. This should not be. The whole idea of the tongue with you're talking about unity there. It's like be careful what you're saying to one another. And then James Five, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters. And then here's the again, if you're wondering how critical unity is or what's at stake here, he says you'll be judged if you do it. And, he, and the judge is standing at the door. That's one of the things that the importance of God to unity is he says, wondering and complaining will smash unity. And, and God saying, whether well, there is a command of blessing for unity, there is a judgment for disunity. And he will judge that. What do we say? Grumbling about each other. Complaining about each other. So a whole generation of people in the Old Testament, they wandered in the wilderness and they did not walk in the promises of God like a church that ceased to exist. And it was the big thing is the same grumbling and complaining. We got a better way. We're going to do it our way. We're not going to listen to God. We're not going to listen to Moses. And we're going to grumble and complain all the way through. And God says that generation will stay in the wilderness. It's hugely important in the passage of Scripture here. This here is not my passage. It's in the Scripture. Let's go to the next one. Proverbs 6 talking about things that the Lord hates. That word hate is strong. If you read your Bible, it says he hates things. What does he hate? Haughty eyes, that's pride. A lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent. A heart that plots evil. These are big Things, feet that race to be wrong, a false witness that lies again, that's a false witness. Somebody that's giving us slander, giving information that's untrue. It's very dangerous and God hates it. And then look at the last one. The other ones we go, man, these are people who a person who's so discord in the family. That's disunity. They so discord, they so division in a family. God hates this thing. So several of those are tied to disunity, but the fruits of disunity are discord again, complaining, grumbling, gossip, slander, putting your own personal vision over the corporate vision. And again, we must guard our hearts, the implications of heaven. And here's the, the last picture that we have. Colossians 3.14. I love this. Over all these virtues, he just talks about what to clothe yourself with. 
In Colossians, we are over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We have just read some of the passages where Jesus talks about loving each other and the importance of loving each other. That the world will know. They'll know your disciples when you love each other. They'll know we are Christians by our love. And what does Paul say? Over all these other virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So love is the glue of unity. Love is the glue of unity. And the love that is described here is self-sacrificial love for each other. Laying down our lives, our rights to ourselves. And this is how we walk in unity and maintain unity. Is to walk in that kind of love. Not a feeling, mushy, gushy, mushy love when I feel it and I, I'm feeling love. No one's saying, I love you in spite of our disagreements. I love you. I choose to love you. I choose to honor you. Paul puts it this way, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, and here's that glue that is around the church. 1 Corinthians 12, he's the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 is how to live it out. Love is patient. How are you doing with that? Love is kind. And so you can even say unity is patient. Unity is kind. Division is impatient. I need it now. We're going to do it this way. Division is mean-spirited. Love is not envious. Disunity is envious. Love is not proud. It's humble. Disunity is proud. And I set my up. I'm walking this and I've got this and you guys are down here. And see, that's not love. He even goes on to say it's not puffed up or full of oneself. Division is puffed up and full of yourself. Unity, love, keeps no record of wrong. It hopes. It protects. I love the word protect because it protects each other. When somebody's slanders and somebody's gossip, you can cut that off and say, ah, wait just a second, we're going to say that. I don't, I, don't, I don't want us to talk about that. I don't think that that's fruitful to talk about that. That's why in James, later, uh, later on in James, he even talks about this one. When somebody makes an accusation to a church uh, about a church leader, it says, make sure they have two at the most three witnesses and let them bring that grievance. Because sometimes there is grievance, right? Sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we walk in sin and it says that there's a sin issue where two or three witnesses gather together and do it the right way. Because if you're just slandering and you're gossiping, it's very dangerous. Love protects unity, protects its trust, it perseveres. So it doesn't just quit. It doesn't, doesn't easily sever apart. Love and unity persevere. And even in that chapter, he says, it doesn't matter if you have power, it doesn't matter if you have gifts of the Spirit, it doesn't matter if you have good theology. Without love, there's no unity. We can be puffed up by the big items. That's why Paul says, if I'm speaking the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I'm just noisy. I'm a gong, I'm a symbol, and it's just, it's noisy. If I have faith, it could move mountains, which is pretty big faith. But I have not love, it profits me nothing. If I, have, if I have the ability to have all of the knowledge and to unpack all of this stuff, because without love, it is nothing. Because that's not the proof 
that you are walking in unity and love and even in the spirit. All this is, yeah, you just have a gift, but if it's just on display and it's popping up, that means nothing. Here's what unity and love. Love when you disagree. That's on display. Honor when you don't feel like it in spite of things not going your way. That's when unity and love is seen. Walking in unity when your flesh doesn't feel like it, that's power on display to power love and unity. See, we are broken. And our vision and our mission are to point people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The goodness of God, the redemption of God, that is our job as the church. And when we have made it about other things, and when we have made the, 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 the meaningless disagreements the battleground, we are in trouble. We are to point people to the gospel of Jesus, the cross of Christ, the life that we can have in Him. And so, for all of us, we must tell you, let us search our hearts. Where have we been in this community? What do you need to make right? What is God speaking to us to make us unifying members? I will be a unifier, not a divider. I will walk in unity and I will reject that vision. And we have to be pur- on purpose for this because, again, this is where the enemy, that's why I think this is probably the most strategic. Next week we talk about putting our personal preferences aside. Well, you can't do that unless we're walking in unity. That's why this message is so important. And let me, let me remind you of what Jesus said as He prayed to the Father, God, let them, you and I, let them be one as you and I, Father, and to Jesus, saying, God, help them to be unified like, like Jesus and the Father are. So that the world will know the gospel of Jesus. We stand for I'm going to pray for us, and uh, I have a response here, and then I'm going to pray for the meal upstairs again to join us afterwards um, for the meal for the fundraiser. That would be great. Um, but they ask you to do it there if you have small children, parents accompany the children. That would be wonderful. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. Lord, I'll thank you for your, your word. That's the lies and it's powerful. Lord, I, I can preach a sermon, but ultimately, Lord, we look to the Word of God and the things that you said, the things that the apostles said, the truth and the reality that they pointed to in this whole idea of unity is so strong. And Lord, again, I pray that we would have ears to hear. Lord, passages that we maybe heard lots and lots of times, God, help us not to get into a dull appearing mode that we miss what you're trying to say. And I pray that you would search our hearts for each one of us. Lord, forgive me where I have been in disunity. I know there are areas in my life, God, that I have not walked in unity. Maybe I got my feelings hurt or something was dead, Lord, and I held on to that and I didn't let it go. And God, please forgive me. Forgive us as a church. 
Lord, I pray, God, that we would be a victorious church. Jesus, we would be a part of those, that, that church that you said you would build and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Lord, I pray that the gates of hell would not prevail against this church in the area of disunity and division. That we would love you with all of our heart. We would be reminded every day of the vision and the mission that you called us to. To love you, to follow you, and then to lead others to you. Forgive us when we've made the battle, the, 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 the silly things, and the wrong battle, the main battle. Help our hearts. Help us to guard our hearts. Help us to love each other with genuine, sincere love. So that the world will know the gospel is real. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the food that's upstairs. Pray God your blessing on it. Pray, Lord, for your provision for Janelle for this mission trip. We strengthen her and bless her. Thank you for it, Jesus. Amen. God bless.